You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. Last week, Rob explained how at the core of this whole great co-mission um, that we're on with Jesus, that God's got us on, it, it's based in relationship. All right, we talked about this last week. He, he, last week was kind of the, um, the ethereal up in the brain how, or not how, uh, the why, why it's based in, like how we know it's based in relationship, why it's based in relationship. This week, I get kind of the part two of this we get down into the nitty gritty of more of how do we actually walk this out? How does this actually affect this being in relationship with God, this discipleship being based in relationship? How does this actually affect our day-to-day lives? <clears throat> so I, I kind of had two questions after last week's sermon, aside from the fact that I kind of kept nodding off. So it was, was it a boring sermon? That was my first question. Side note, it wasn't. On second listen, it was fine. I just ate a muffin right before service, and that put me right to sleep back there. Like, I was out like a light. I've never struggled so hard in my life. That's why I can't eat breakfast before church. Got to fast. Got to fast before it. Um, Anyway, but the two actual questions I had was, what does it mean to be in relationship with Christ? I think that's the, like, okay, so if, if it's all based in relationship, probably should define for myself what does that actually mean? It's, it's fine. And that's something that it's easy for us to kind of just slip over and say like, oh yeah, no, be in relationship with Christ. What does that actually mean? And then the second part of that is how do I go about doing that? How do I actually go about being in, like, what does that look like tangibly? Because that's still kind of a, a mental concept. <laughs> so let's deal with that first question. Uh, Give us a, a little pop quiz here because, you know, we're in school. Uh, what does it really mean to be in relationship with Christ? A, is it going to church on Sunday? Uh, B, is it following the proper church rules that you know about, you know, you grew up with, all those proper church rules, don't cuss, chew, or drink, and grow with girls that do, or whatever, I don't know, whatever Charlie used to say. I always mess that, I, he's quoted the, that to me so many times, and I mess it up every time. So obviously, I listen really well uh, to what Charlie says. We'll cut that out. Uh, edit that one right out and send it to him. Was it following these church rules? Is it doing the right stuff? Um, is it going to care group or LTG? Is it, is it going to those things and getting into the word maybe? Or is it D, none or all of the above? There you go. Scott's on the ball. The answer is D. These, see, the, the thing about all of these are, these are all things that you can do while being in relationship, but you can also go about doing all of these things. And I have done all of these things without actually really being in relationship. This is one of those sermons where the emphasis, the emphasis on my voice is going to be real important throughout this. Like we're going to pretend I have italics on my vocals. You can do it without actually being in relationship. 
So what I think is I actually think that being with Jesus, being with Jesus is a place in which you experience the joy and the peace of the Lord. I think that's a pretty good definition of this. I think that's the indicator light, if you will, right? The oil, the check oil light that comes on that says, Hey, this is what's going on. This is the indicator of, or your speed. This is your speedometer saying, this is where you're at. You are being in relationship with Jesus, if you're experiencing the joy and the peace of the Lord, this is a good indicator that you're actually there. You're abiding with the Lord. Let's look at Philippians 4. A couple of verses out of here. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. There's a phrase for you. I know how to abound. Chin lights up. He also said be brought low like that, that too. Oh no, we're just going to focus on the abound over there. It's fine. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What I hear Paul describing here is this constant connection with the Lord. In all things, he says, all day, every day, every minute, every situation, in all things, keeping a constant connection. It's only through the Lord that he can do all things. This constant connection, when that goes, if that goes away, struggles occur, struggle bus happens, things go, things go sideways. <clears throat> so on that, we have that on one hand. On the other hand, I'm going to read you this quote out of uh, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship with my boy P.D. Scazzaro. Uh, <clears throat> he says, too many followers of Jesus are chronically overextended and doing more for Jesus then their inner life with him can sustain. They're doing more for Jesus than their inner life with him can sustain. They have too much to do in too little time and say a default yes to requests and opportunities without carefully discerning God's will. Overloaded and depleted constitute normal for their lives. So we got Paul over here. It's constant connection, joy, peace and the ups and downs. And on the other hand, we got what Pete's describing here. Which, which description do you resonate more with? Do you resonate more with Paul or, or the person that Pete's describing? Do you feel like you're experiencing the joy of the Lord consistently? Do you even let yourself acknowledge how you feel maybe? I'd ask myself that one. I'm like, Am I experiencing? Do I even let myself think about this? Yeah, hang on tight. We'll make it through this together, Cindy. We got to talk about that later. Which one do you resonate with? You doing more than your being can sustain? Let's look at Luke 10. There's a story that relates to this that we get out of Luke. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
obviously for the pro-am tournament. Uh, And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. A couple things out of this story. Mary's focus, we see in this quick little, this quick little snippet, Mary's focus is on being with Jesus. She's sitting at his feet. She's listening to him. She's abiding with him. That's her number one priority. Willing to maybe put off some of the, the chores that need to be done. Saying like, ah, I can wait. This is important. Martha, on the other hand, is focused on doing for Jesus. She's hosting. She's focused on this doing. And secondly, she's focused on making Mary do properly, which there might be a lesson in that. Sometimes we force people to do. Um, Martha's anxious and irritable in this. She, what it says she's uh, anxious and troubled is what Jesus called it. She's anxious and irritable. How many of you have felt anxious or irritated in the last week? Uh-oh. I think I got everybody in the room on that one. <laughs> Martha even tells Jesus what to do. Here's, here's, here's the second rough question. How many of your prayers in this last week sounded a little bit like Martha? Like, Jesus, do this. This is what I need, Jesus. Show up and do this. Oof. I got an opinion about this. If Mary was to help with some task of this, I think that Mary would still be doing whatever task she's doing. She would do this out of a place of being. I think this is a mindset. This is, this is the lens they're looking through. This is their priority showing, you know, Rob talked about this yoke, the, the greatest yoke last, you know, the, the, the greatest commandment, the yoke that you put on with the rabbis of what, what lens, which one's the most important. Mary has being as being the most important. Martha has doing as the most important. And it shows in how they interact with Jesus here. Another point of interest, uh, Mary is at the resurrection. We don't know where Martha is something to think about. <clears throat> See, this, this, she, Mary's putting this being before the doing. And, and, and if she was to do stuff, because doing stuff's not wrong. It's not like you shouldn't host, be a good host for Jesus. I, I don't think Jesus is chastising her for this, but he's saying, no, this is good that she's putting this first. This is the number one priority. You're putting the first thing first. Scazzaro has another quote that I think is helpful in this. A person who practices being before doing, kind of like we see Mary do, operates from a place of emotional and spiritual fullness, deeply aware of themselves, others, and God. As a result, their being with God is sufficient to sustain their doing for God. Emotional and spiritual fullness, deeply aware of themselves, others, and God. That sounds like three graphs that we might've had last week. Spoiler alert, it is. Emotional fullness, let's put that up there. 
emotional fullness. This is, uh, this is measured by these two graphs, the, the self and the others. This is, this is your awareness of others. This is your awareness of yourself. This is your connection with others and your relationships with others and your relationship with yourself, the self-care word that we don't like, right? Th- that's these. How, how full are you is how far up on this are, is your knowledge and connection of yourself and your knowledge and connection with others. How, how deep have you gone in that? What's your emotional fullness? This affects how you relate with others. And then the spiritual fullness, this is measured by that other graph. Let's go to the next slide there. Yeah, there we go. This is your spiritual fullness is how, what's your knowledge of God? Yeah, knowing what he says, what he is about, who he is, and also the connection with him, like actually connecting with him. I would say that a lot of times you're doing for God. We could be doing a lot of things for God. I've, I've been this many times. I can be doing a lot of stuff for God. It's really easy when you work for the church. You can do a lot of things for God, but you can, that's really just the knowledge. You end up in the head knowledge area. You're not actually like abiding with him sometimes. It's really easy to get into that pattern. It's really just Martha. Martha's serving Jesus. It's fantastic. She's, I don't know, making a, uh, what the, the, the fancy, the fancy plate of charcuterie. There we go. That, there it is. That was gone from my brain. I was like celery, celery's involved. Um, and it's bad when they buy full celery. I don't know. Um, charcuterie, Martha with the charcuterie, spiritual fullness. Okay. So this is, this is answering our first question there of like, what, what does it actually, what does it actually mean to be? I think, to be in relationship with God. It's putting this being with before the doing. It's, it's ordering this. It's making that priority straight and experiencing the joy and the peace of the Lord because of that. So let's go look at question number two. How do we go about doing that? Okay, it's, it's one thing to say it. It's easy to, you know, it's easy to talk about it, but what does it actually look like tangibly in my life? I will say this to start with, the solution is not to just do less or to do less for God or just do less in general. That's not necessarily the answer. See, because I've seen people who could possibly be labeled as uh, uh, sluggard or lazy. I've seen these people and I've, I've heard them complain about being too busy or overextended. And everybody who's a workaholic in this room just suddenly felt convicted. Stop it. Like, that's not you. If you're feeling convicted on this, it's probably not you. That's the ironic part. But it's not, it, the, like, I've, I've heard these people complain of being too busy or overextended, right? But if you don't foster any relational connection with God then everything you do, no matter how tiny it is, is going to feel like overextension. If you're trying to do for God, I'm assuming you're coming from a place of doing for God, like you're trying to be a disciple. If you're coming from that place, if you don't have any connection with God, then everything you do is going to feel like too much. But the solution is not to stop doing anything for God. The solution instead is then we have to build up that connection. We have to beef up that being with the Lord. We have to increase how much you invest in being in relationship with God. Now, 
that can include reducing what you're doing for, for a time. You're like, I got to get this balance going of making sure that I'm not doing more for God than I, that my being with can sustain, right? This is what we're going for. This being with sustains what we're doing for. Sometimes you have to reduce that so you can just get a handle on things. Like you got to, I don't know, stop spending money so you can get out of debt. Did you hear me, government? It's an option to consider. Like sometimes you have to reduce what you're, what's going out so you can catch up, recharge the aquifer, if you will. <clears throat> it might just mean that you have to increase your, what's getting poured into though. I think there's some key pillars here that can help make this shift in your life to increase this being poured into this being with that we're going after. <clears throat> First one is to choose to make living this way a priority. Scazzaro would call this making a radical decision. It's countercultural to do this. To live this way is countercultural. It goes against everything that our fast-paced society says we should do. It feels absurd. When you, make, when you choose to live this way, it feels absurd. It is so foreign because all of us have been raised in a, a society that is all about success, 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 achievement and doing more and going after. And you're never like success is like drinking salt water. I've heard you, the more you drink, the thirstier you become. I'm butchering that quote by whoever famous person said it, but you can, you can find it. This is, this is so ingrained in us and we're bombarded by it from the outside. It feels absurd to make this sort of choice and it looks crazy to people. It looks absolutely crazy. Do it anyway. Choose to make living this way a priority. This is the one that we don't like, Cindy. Feel your feelings. Why am I talking about this? Why does this always happen to me? I swear Rob prays for this. Just every time he's like, Lord, please just give Logan something that he doesn't want to talk about. Feel your feelings. I got this quote from Avagrius of Pontus, which is a great name, Avagrius. He says, you want to know God? First know yourself. This is back on those graphs, kind of like Rob was talking about last week of knowledge of self and connection with self. Why do we need that? Jesus came to live a human life. He didn't come live some removed. He lived a human life with human emotions to be in relationship with people. He experienced these things. It's not holy to stuff everything you feel down into a tiny little box. That's not holy. It's not godly to suppress your unpleasant emotions or your pleasant ones. It's not godly to suppress those. I don't like hearing it. I don't like saying it, but it's true. <laughs> Why? How you feel affects others. It affects how you relate with them. Do you remember last week when we were supposed to like love others or something like that? There was some sort of command that Jesus like. A, there's some, I think it was, it was, it was kind of important. I was asleep at that point, but it was kind of important. I think it was something about loving others. Um, it affects that. Like 
if I'm if I'm emotionally jamming everything down, then I'm not being authentic. It's one of our core values. It's there for a reason. It's my second least favorite, right after roughly right. It's good. It's hard, but it's good. You're supposed to grow and learn from these feelings. You should feel your feelings. Grow and learn from them. Don't wallow in them. Don't get stuck on them, but grow and learn from them. That's probably a sermon unto itself someday. Uh, Third one is to integrate silence. Now, I preached a long time about silence earlier this year, so I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot here. But I'll say this. If you can't hear from God, it's probably because you can't be quiet and listen. And if you can't be quiet and listen, then you're not going to hear from God. That's, it's very, he, or he's, you're going to make him shout. And I don't like it when I make God shout. It usually ends up hurting. Right? It's unpleasant. Integrate silence into your life. This can help with this being with Jesus. Last one is commune with Jesus throughout the day. We've talked about this a little bit through the series. We've been kind of priming the pump, if you will. This is the pause app. This comes from pray without ceasing that Paul says in Thessalonians. Pray without ceasing. This really doesn't make sense. That verse seems odd or it just doesn't connect. You're like, how do I, I can't just like stop everything that I'm doing and just pray all day long. It doesn't work that way, Lord. I don't know if you know this, God, but let me tell you how it is. Let me pull out my Martha card here and tell you what's up. Pray without ceasing. When you start to implement these, you know, communing with Jesus throughout your day, structuring this a little bit, then it starts to create this awareness of what that actually looks like. I always say, pray for the tomatoes. Uh, Long story short, and if you want the full story, ask me, it's funny. But uh, I was working on a camp. We were having a terrible week. It started off horrible. We were doing a little staff meeting midweek, and I complained. I said, I can't even cut a freaking tomato right. Like nothing's going right. And the director was like, well, did you pray about it? I had some choice words in my inside voice. Like, well, did I pray about it? Did I pray about what? He said, well, yeah, of course. Like, why wouldn't you be able to cut a tomato with Jesus's help better than you can by yourself? I just kind of felt like dumb for a moment. So you remember to pray for the tomatoes. It's praying for keeping that connection, like Paul was talking about in Philippians, keeping that connection going all day long, constantly. So here's some four pillars, these kind of four areas where we could, we could call them even boxes. Like we're making a box, if you will, maybe a container, which is what I'm going to call it. Cause we're going to need some structure to help develop this idea of how to be with, cause if not, then it's going to be like ping pong balls flying everywhere when we try to do stuff and it's, it's chaos. So we need a little bit of structure because when you're developing these aspects and others, because there's probably other aspects where you might be able to grow and develop, you're going to find it helpful to create this structure. Like you're going to, to create some boundaries, to create some, some guidelines, if you will. It's like the pirate's code. It's a guideline, right? To form a plan, to have something tangible that you can point to or measure, see like, am I growing? It's like why we make graphs. We like to see things. And we'll call it, because Peter calls it in Emotionally Healthy Leader, or leader and Discipleship, he calls it creating a container, 
to be before you do. The first, the first option, none of these are they're guidelines, they're not rules, uh, suggestions of areas where it might be helpful for you. Maybe you'll resonate with one of these. First one is to adjust your goals or redefine your success. This is kind of along with that first one of like make a radical decision. This is like saying, what's my main goal on a day-to-day basis? What is my number one priority when I wake up in the morning? Have you thought about that? You're just kind of on autopilot. Is my number one goal when I wake up in the morning to be closer to Jesus? Doesn't matter what I'm doing during the day, but my goal is that by the end of the day, when I lay down, lay me down to sleep, that I'm closer to Jesus. Now I have a better relationship with him at the end of the day than I did at the beginning. That that's my goal. I bet if you woke up every morning, you looked in the mirror and you defined that for yourself, that you declared, my primary goal is to wake up and to work, go through my day and be closer to Jesus by the end of today than, it, than, I, than I am right now. If you said that to yourself in the mirror every morning, I bet you after a certain amount of time of doing that, it would probably start to happen because you're focusing, you're changing your focus. You're moving the end zone, if you will. You're like, I'm going to put it over here on the sideline. It's way easier to get to. Looks weird for everybody else, but you're like, yeah, no, I'm going over here to score. The Gatorade table, that's my goal. Obviously, I'm really good at sports. I know how they work good. Along with that, uh, finding accountability goes with that first one. Someone to ask how you're coming along with this. What we do in LTG, like LTG is kind of, this is setting goals, saying like, LTG is a great place to, to do this sort of stuff. It's not going to automatically do it. But you could integrate this. So this is goals, and then I show up, and Mike says, hey, how are you doing with that this week? Be like, well, I didn't do well at all. And he's like, well, do better. I'd be like, okay. That was LTG wrapped up. Like, it's about how that goes. It checks it. Add some coffee, and you got it. It's fantastic. Uh, it's a little deeper maybe, but pretty close. Next one is practice Sabbath delight. We've talked about Sabbath twice now. We've had series and spoiler alert, we have one coming up right after this series. So it's still a big deal. It's still important. This is the thing. Sabbath reminds us that God is in control. We are not, and that's a good thing. It's a weekly reminder of this. It's a regular rhythm of stopping to delight in relationship, in your relationship with God. And, you know, I think that in most relationships, if you have a consistent sort of date night, I've been told that's beneficial. I know for me with friendships, if I have a consistent where like we get together and we hang out, there's consistency in actually spending time together, dedicated time together. That usually helps the relationship, like that helps the friendship exist and not wither. That happens. Sabbath is a regular rhythm of focusing on that relationship with God saying, This is important, 24 hours, all yours, buddy. That's what it is. It can be super helpful in developing and growing closer to be 
with Jesus, not just doing for. Next one, scheduled prayer. Kind of talked about this a little bit of uh, communing with Jesus throughout the day. This, this looks like this, right? This is, but this is a good way to go about doing it. There's other ways, but this is maybe the easiest, the most, the easiest on-ramp. It's gentle, not like the Van Buren one, right? Kind of lulls you into it. This is also called the daily office or fixed hour prayer. Um, now this comes from David, I mean, amongst a lot of other places, but like David practiced praying seven times, seven times a day. We get that out of the Psalms, uh, Psalm 119. I think it's like verse 164 or something in that one. That one's huge. Uh, Daniel prayed three times a day. We saw that in scripture, uh, uh, Daniel chapter six, if you want to look it up. Um, and then, you know, this is something the, the church, the desert fathers integrated Jesus's times. They prayed three times a day, like the structured prayer where everybody does this, like that a lot of times that's helpful, but you can just do this on your own individually, setting some rigid times. And I say rigid intentionally rigid, like set them. Don't just be like, well, yeah, morning, noon, and night. No, set a time where you interrupt the rush of the day. It's hugely helpful. Set those times. We all walk around with these little annoying things in our pockets that beep incessantly. Set a couple of individual beeps during the day that are like, hey, pray, pray, pray. You just stop for a minute. That, the one minute pause app, that's great for that too. It'll bug you. It's been bugging me. I got my boy Kyle to start doing it last week. He hasn't actually opened the app. I've been told, but he does stop and pause when it goes off. He just doesn't want the noise because he's usually in a public place or something. He's like, I don't want to start a meditation in the middle of class. I don't know why. I think that would be great. Um, but, you know, but he's pausing. So it's the alarm that you really need. <clears throat> Next one is rule of life. This one's very helpful. I really like this one. Um, what a rule of life for those that might not be familiar with this. Um, it is a simple and intentional plan to keep God at the center of everything that you do. It helps you visualize your time and what you want to fit into that time. It's been hugely beneficial for me as I work through that. Usually a couple times a year. Mine right now is a little chaos. So I, it was funny. I was talking with Rob yesterday. Both of us have to kind of do a little work on that because ours got topsy-turvied the last month or so. I'm like, yeah, I need to go back and re- work that because I'm, I'm drifting off of where I need to be with that. Next one, learn from trusted companions, specifically people that are further along in this process than you are. Now this can be people that you physically know, like that you actually like, inter, you know, interact with on a day-to-day -day basis, but the, this can also be People that you listen to, that you watch, listen to the Mar Marty on the Bama podcast. Like I, I go to him for Sabbath stuff. I've, I've learned a lot of my Sabbath stuff from him and Scazzaro and like two other places. But mostly him and Scazzaro for Sabbath. I've learned from them. This is learning from a trusted companion. This can be listening to sermons. This can be reading books, all of that stuff. Learn from people who are further along the path than you are. Lastly is experiment. See, because everyone in this room will have a different 
combination of doing and being. You're going to have to balance this out for yourself. I can't give you a clear cut, like this is what this looks like. Like there's no one size fits all sort of thing. Um, what works to balance your life is something that you'll have to test and tweak over time. Individually. But what I will tell you is that the Holy Spirit will help you figure this out. He shows up in this. He teaches you. He convicts you. He's like, yeah, that's out of a line. You're ignoring this entire aspect of your life. You probably shouldn't, Logan. I is good. Now, this is also not an excuse to not make changes to tr like try it. Like the, the end goal is still to move closer, move into a better balance of letting your being with sustain your doing for, right? So it, this one, this, well, I'm experimenting. I just don't want to actually do it. Don't let that be you. Uh, lastly, let's throw in a little bit of like how this actually applies to disciples, like making this is this mostly I've talked about thus far is how to get this right for yourself. Now, how do I help others with this? How do I bring somebody along in this? Now, our definition at Mission Ridge of being a disciple is following Jesus. Somebody who's following Jesus, who's changed by Jesus, and who's on mission with Jesus. Now, I've, I came across something interesting because uh, Scazzaro has a definition for disciple. I was like, well, do I like his better? I read it. It says, an emotionally healthy disciple shows down, slows down to be with Jesus, goes beneath the surface of their life to be deeply transformed by Jesus, and offers their life as a gift to the world for Jesus. Boom. Two different sides of the country. We still line up perfect. Yeah. Get it. That's just fine. I just really like that. <laughs> like uh, his, his is a little more wordy. Ours is a little simpler, a little clear cut. It's like a couple of people that like to get things done, streamlined it. That one actually wasn't me. I didn't, I wasn't involved in that. But if that's our, if this is our, like if this is actually our definition. And so this is the being with Jesus. This happens from being with Jesus. And then this is the doing out of a place of being with Jesus, right? So if we're going to make disciples, then that's what that's going to look like. In, your, in the bulletin, there's, there's the, I think it's graphed out there, um, but we call it corporate discipleship and Jesus discipleship because this, this way of teaching, I've had this in business settings and I've had this in church settings and I've used it and it's effective. But the, the Jesus one's a little bit better. The first one being, I do, you watch, we talk, right? And we go down this, I do, you help, we talk. And then you do, and then I help. And then we flip it around and then you do it and I watch, right? This is like, well, I, I did this for Jen with setting up the tech stuff. This is how I teach that stuff is like, I'm going to do it and you're going to watch and then I'm going to do it and you're going to help. And then I'm going to do it and then, or you're going to do it and then I help. And then it, it just progresses along and then eventually you can do it and then you can teach somebody else. And the cycle continues. And that's fine and well. That's good. How do we apply a place of being in making a disciple? If I'm going to disciple somebody, how do I do it from a place of being with Jesus? What does that look like? It looks like this. 
I be, you watch, we talk. I be, you be, we talk. We now are both following Jesus on that original one, right? This is getting us both in, in like, this is what it looks like to just be with. This is developing that relationship. And then I do out of my being and you watch, we talk about it. And then you do out of your being and I watch and we talk and then you be in somebody else and the cycle continues. But it's this coming from this places of, I am just being with and letting everything I do come from this being with. Now, what this does is it kind of frees you up a little bit because now discipleship can be a little bit more of just, it's, it's you. It's you being with Jesus in whatever you're doing. This is going to the store. This is watching a movie. This is a cooking dinner. What, whatever you're doing, do it from a place of being with, abiding that constant connection that Paul talks about. Feeling the joy and the peace of the Lord in everything you do. And then just inviting somebody to come along with you in that journey. It's just your day-to-day life. You don't have to add another thing. Doesn't that feel nice? I don't actually have to add anything to my schedule to disciple people. I just have to invite them to come along. Hey, Kyle, do you want to come do this with me? I'm going to go for a hike. Boom, done. Am I doing it from a place of being? Is he watching me? I'm making a disciple. Look at that happen. Super easy. Brings us to our implication. Discipleship from a place of being with is sustainable, steady, and successful. This is the most pastorly I've ever felt when I came up with this. Look at those S words. Like a little heel click there. Like, go me. A little ass in it, or is that, is that, no, alliteration, there it is. I even remember English, grammar, cool. It's, success, or it's sustainable, steady, and successful. Let's break these down. Sustainable, discipleship from a place of being with is sustainable. When you offer your life as a gift to the world for Jesus, pulled out from Schizero, from a place of being with, when you're on mission with him, being with him, burnout doesn't happen. I wrestled with this. I thought about like, is there any, am I wrong? Nope, nope. I, yep, that's absolutely right. Burnout doesn't happen. If you're doing this from a place of being with, it's sustainable. Now, seasons might end. Callings can change, all of that stuff. Things shift, but burnout doesn't actually happen. You don't get to the point where you're like, I don't wanna. You don't get to that point with following Jesus. You might get to that point with some task somewhere. That, that's entirely possible. But with actually following Jesus, with actually making disciples, burnout doesn't happen. You remain filled by God the entire time and you're never depleted because it's coming from a place of overflowing. So you're never even actually pouring out and then being refilled. You're just overflowing when you're constantly coming from a place of being with in this. Next one is it's steady. Discipleship from a place of being with is steady. Now this is just a nicer word for slow in my mind. But I, I chose, I was like, ah, we need a more positive word. Steady. Imagine with me though, the, the, uh, the story of the tortoise and the hare. Y'all remember this. Now the only time any of us want to remember that story is when we're losing a race and we want to console our egos, 
right? But slow and steady wins the race, right? We know that story. It's, it's consistent. This sort of discipleship is consistent. It's not, it doesn't come in spurts of like, yeah, I have the energy to do this. And, and for somebody who's learning, for somebody who's following you, for somebody who you're discipling, how beneficial is that? We all know that you learn a little bit better if you're not cramming right before the test. Like we all choose to do. I realized that that was, I mean, at least that's what I always did. Yes, I read the chapter the night before. Yes, it was fine. Would it have been better the other way? Yes, it would have. Mike's like, yeah, that'll preach. <laughs> do the homework every day. No, but that's so much helpful. That's so much more helpful for the student. Consistent, steady, manageable, palatable. It's steady. And then lastly, it's successful. Let's just say this. This is how Jesus did things. He was pretty successful. This is how the apostles did things. They were pretty successful. This is how the early church did things. Like in Acts, you look at, they were pretty successful. They exploded under the Roman empire. They were successful. They did this. They focused on this, on being with, as opposed to just doing. And this is how theologians into the middle of, into the middle ages did things. When the church was growing and expanding across the globe, they're pretty successful. Now, this doesn't mean that it's going to be a silver bullet for every individual person that you disciple. It's not going to be that. But it does mean that you will be successful in making disciples as a whole across the board. There might be some people that just decide they don't want to do their part. That's the thing. But as a whole, you will be successful in making disciples if you do it from a place of being with, if you let your life be driven towards this. Your number one priority is I want to be with Jesus in everything I do. I'll, be, I'll close with this because this is important, but you need to be patient with yourself in this process. This is not something that happens overnight. You can't just like, you could take all, I think I, I like all seven things that I suggested. You could be like, try to implement them all this week and you will fail miserably, I suspect. If you don't, then, well, you can, you win. Gold star for you. But like my, my suspicion is you try to implement all this at once, it's too much. It's not, it's like cramming before the test. It's really not effective. You'll get some of it out. Sure. Successfully developing this pattern in your life will look like that tortoise, not the hare. Pick one, pick two. Start working on them. And then when those start to become habits, when those, when you're like, yeah, I know Sabbath, I got a rhythm of Sabbath. Sure. All right. Now I'm going to add a little something else. Or I've got a rhythm of, I pray a couple times a day. All right. Now I'm going to, I'm going to step that up. I'm going to grow in that. Right. Be patient with yourself. This takes time. It's a long game. It's not easy, but it's worth it to live a life where you're being with Jesus sustains what you're doing for him. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. 
If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram, so give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.